Welcome back to Butter With That, a movies podcast where some friends from Philadelphia come together to talk about all things movies. How's everybody doing today? It's so good to see you guys. Um, it's been quite a few weeks for the Butter crew here, um, but I'm really excited to be back today with a brand new theme um, and to hang out with my buttery friends and to talk about an interesting movie. Uh, but before we get into all of that, has anybody seen anything new or revisited anything in the past or liked anything didn't like anything tell me before i do that connor i just want to say when you called us buttery i was like well that's rude and then i thought about just like how i am one of the greasiest individuals that like i actually know (laughs) so thought you know what that actually kind of fits um so thanks for that anyway uh i made a deal with one of our colleagues ryan um I was trying to guess his favorite movie and I obviously I could like never do that, but I said legally blonde to, to be funny and for it to be a joke. And he had no idea what that movie was. So I said that I would watch one of his favorite movies if he would watch legally blonde and his favorite movie was one of them was fences with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. So I watched that over the weekend and it was really good. It took me a little bit to get into because it is, basically a play that was filmed on a movie set and there's like not a second where someone's not talking so it was like a little tough but once it really starts getting into the the whole plot it's very interesting heartbreaking I cried Viola Davis just gives such an incredible performance so I'm glad that Ryan brought that into my life his thoughts about Legally Blonde, he said he turned it off after the first 15 minutes. And then, <laughs> no, I'll put it back on. And then he ended up liking it. So how could you not like it? I've never seen Legally Blonde myself. Oh, Boo. check it out. And when I mentioned that to Sam earlier today, she threatened to pick it for the podcast in the future. Uh, that's also, yeah, I'm a big August Wilson fan, but I, I just haven't gotten a chance to see um, that version of Fences. So good recommendation. Uh, Sam, um, wow, uh, for Christine, it's been that kind of day. What have you guys been watching? Uh, I started watching the show Severance, which I'm enjoying, uh, with Adam Scott and some other folks. Have any of you guys watched it? Not yeah. yet. I no, mean, I it's not. like you know, it's it's about people that get their brain operated on so that they don't have any recollection of their work life. So it's like the, it's taking work life that or like shutting off when you're outside of work to an extreme. So it's like two selves who don't know what the other is doing inside and outside of work, which I think is executed in a really interesting way. There's like some threads of mystery, but what I find so funny is that the Product, the show is sponsored or produced by uh, Apple. And uh, it's just a funny, like all of the sort of like workplace uh, idiosyncrasies and horrors and problems are all connected to like cor- the corporate world and especially like the corporate tech world. 
And it feels like it's sort of Apple's way of absolving themselves from any, um, you know, it's like it's them being self-aware by producing this show and therefore absolving themselves from uh, of any, you know, problems. So that's yeah, the like one plays, thing that I plays throughout the 24 hour workday at Foxconn. Yeah. I mean, it's like basically it's all like I'm thinking about while I'm watching it, which is is interesting. And it, it's got some great performances and it's shot really well. So I'll, I'll keep watching. But it's just a funny thing that I can't get out of my brain. Nice. I just had a friend recommend that last night. That's funny. Well, I caught some more movies that came out this year recently. I think I saw back to back within one weekend. And this is a real whiplash scenario here. I think I saw what I I would argue is the worst movie of 2022 uh, right after seeing what I think might be the best. Um, going to have more thoughts on them when we get to our, um, our uh, awards ceremony for this past year uh, down the line. But a uh, quick preview is that uh, the worst movie that I saw of 2022 thus far has been um, Andrew Dominic's Blonde through Netflix, which uh, is uh, vile, I would say. Don't want to spend too much time diving into that now because I'm going to have some lengthy complaints about it down the road when we do a, an episode on uh, our feelings about the year. But uh, also my feelings about the year, uh, I think the best work that I've seen so far was actually um, a rather minimal and restrained and really thought-provoking and really tender piece called A Love Song, which um, stars uh, both Wes Tootie and Dale Dickey, both of whom are like storied bit character actors who are both allowed to take the stage in this uh, very small scale and very intimate portrait of two uh, older widowed people who remember each other from a childhood or from from school from childhood and uh, who try to reconnect uh, to see if they can rekindle their openness to uh, love and intimacy and whether or not that can pan out for the two of them after all these years and after all they've been through. Uh, I think it's a fantastic film and would recommend anybody check it out. I've rented it and then I watched it twice within as many days. And then the third day I was like, well, I'm going to want to watch it again. So I just bought it. So that's a movie that I'm looking forward to revisiting uh, throughout the year. And I think we'll be revisiting when we do our uh, Butter Without Awards for 2022. That sounds really good. I totally forgot too that I watched, speaking of minimalists, that I watched uh, a Dave recommend, which was Mass. Mm-hmm. about the parents uh, coming together to basically like try to heal uh, after like a mass shooting. And that, that movie like kind of wrecked me. Uh, I also watched it on a plane. Uh. <laughs> like, so I was like kind of sobbing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but good, good recommend, Dave. Yeah, that was my winner of uh, best picture for our awards last year. And Christine, r- remind me, did you, do you recall, did you pick, for last year's best picture, uh, worst person in the world, or was that for I, something I else? Have, I haven't seen it. Uh, oh, I thought that I was you that was recommending best. that because actually, I would switch that now. I think that movie is pretty fantastic. Although Matt's is great yeah. as well. Yeah, last year, who knows? Who knows what <laughs> happened last year? I don't. I haven't been watching anything too new. Um, I have, I have, however, been keeping up with House of the Dragon. Game of Thrones spinoff show. I think I've mentioned it on almost every episode the past couple of releases. Uh, as of this recording, we are uh, just a few days before the season finale. Um, the show's been fantastic. Just keep keeps on getting better and better. Uh, can't wait for the finale. And as somebody who was pretty burned by the end of Game of Thrones, it feels really nice to have something redemptive in the community um, that generally I would say most 9 out of 10 folks are cheering on, which is 
great to have some positivity in the, one of the corners of the internet that I go to. Cool. So we are kicking off a brand new theme today. This has been a theme that we've been really excited about um, to unveil and to dive into for quite a while now, and that is roommate revenge. Uh, Sam's roommates have sat through many Butter With That movies over the past four years, uh, and they have many strong opinions about the films uh, that we have picked, uh, each of us. And I think it's interesting that there are people out in the world who know me mainly by my movie picks. I think that's like a really fascinating idea. So we thought that it would be fun, partially in celebration of our four-year anniversary, um, to have uh, Sam's roommates pick films for the four of us. So as we go throughout the month, uh, these are picks that her roommates made based on, um, you know, what they think our picks would be similar to. Maybe it was a revenge pick. It kind of varies um, person by person. Uh, but without further ado, I want to kick it over to Heather and Kara to talk about um, some of my picks and why they picked Encino Man. Well, look at that. We have some special guests on this episode of Butter With That. We're so excited to doing this theme of roommates' uh, revenge. And it's so nice to meet you guys. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to talk about Encino Man today. <laughs> I'm so glad you say that, Connor. <laughs> so glad. Well, out of all of the options that I think I could have been bestowed, I'll take a Brendan Fraser classic that I hadn't seen before <laughs> recording tonight. So really excited. You've never seen it? Mm-mm, no. Oh my gosh. It. it is. Well, listen. I hope that you have good things to say about it. <laughs> well, you'll have to listen to find out. I will. I will. So I just wanted to, from all of us here on the Butter Crew, thank you so much for sitting through Sam through four years of movies. Um, and when we kind of came up with this idea, I was super excited be, uh, for your Sam, for your roommates to be picking films for us. Partially revenge, <laughs> maybe partially um, gifts. And so I guess I just wanted to see what, for me, what was kind of your favorite movie I chose or the worst movie? Kind of talk to me about what you think about my film, film choices. Um, okay, so this is Heather. I've actually known Sam for quite a long time. So this feels like revenge has really been stewing for a while <laughs> here, not just the four years of the podcast. But um, Connor, your movies have always kind of struck me as you're you're very much like this this mainstream kind of moviegoer. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way or anything like that. Um, but you do mix in some like quirky little picks, um, which keeps me on my toes a little bit. I'm going to say my least favorite is uh Can you ever forgive me? So no, I can't ever forgive you for picking that one. <laughs> An um, interesting least favorite pick. Wow. It was just so slow. Boring. It was so slow. <laughs> was she rough. was she was really wonderful. <clears throat> Her award was deserved, but ooh, I could have trimmed off like an hour of that movie. <clears throat> um and best i had portrait of a lady on fire but then sam reminded me about the bob's burgers movie and that one that one trumped it <laughs> oh wow an interesting story. choice between two very different movies yeah i, I know right <laughs> <laughs> this is Kara, by the way hi nice to see y'all um so i agree connor i described you as a classics man but you do throw in those like questionable choices which end up pleasantly surprising me so <laughs> um, i'll take that yeah so 
I will say you have picked some of my favorite movies. Uh, I know that you watched Jurassic Park and that is in my top three movies of all time. So like kudos to you. Uh, I agree with Heather. Portrait of a Lady on Fire was amazing. And also surprising Chicken People. Loved it. Yes. yes. Loved it. It was, I recommended that to everyone I knew. She really did. Yeah. (laughs) And then who was it that said, oh yeah, I already watched it. Uh, my brother. Oh, you're brother. because my brother is a chicken person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, funny. Wow. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm so happy that made your favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's fabulous. Um, however, <laughs> the least best. I agree. Can you ever forgive me? Oh boy, wow. he sat there in. I'm not gonna lie, in a bit of agony. Yeah, we were all <laughs> at the screen. <laughs> so, um, thanks for giving us that. Yeah, thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I thought, I thought Encino Man was gonna be a good choice for you. Like you said, it's a classic Brendan Fraser movie. It's got Sean Astin in it. It's got Holly Shore. Like it's just, it's got a good, great little cast. And I, I have to be completely honest. I haven't watched it since I was a child. It came out in 1992. And I was like, ooh, is this going to be problematic? I don't know. Um, so I quick read the Wikipedia like summary before we started. And I was like, okay, everything looks copacetic. <laughs> However, if something does arise that is highly problematic, I'm so sorry. I have blocked it out because I was a <laughs> child. Um, but I think you're going to really enjoy it. Oh, nice. And it wouldn't be the first problematic movie that we discuss on the podcast. No, I mean, been there before. the last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it was so nice to officially meet you guys. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We love when we have guests. And um, we're so happy that you picked some good and interesting movies for us to talk about this month. Absolutely. Thanks we'll see how us. that sentiment lasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for having us. Yes, this was a lot of fun you. for us. Yes. You know, I still don't think I'll ever get over um, that Can I Ever Forgive You was the worst. <laughs> the worst of my picks that they've watched. I understand they haven't watched every movie that I've picked. But um, the fact that, it, Sam, everybody in your house seems to hate that movie um, is just interesting. I just really like, Connor, the the self-reflective nature that you have. Like, I have definitely picked worse movies. Can you ever forgive me? <laughs> is the one they're picking. And I so vividly remember all of us sitting down here and watching it. Uh, popcorn, the whole works, and us just going, the longer it went on. And I think at one point someone had um, looked this person's story up on Wikipedia and was like, nope. We still have such and such and such a thing to go. And we're all like, no. <laughs> so it, as as much as they might not have liked it, it's still a good memory for me. And, you know, even if a movie can leave a great memory, I think that's a sign of something. So um, their pick for me, your roommates, and I think Kara specifically, um, was 1992's Encino Man. Um, what was interesting when preparing and thinking about this episode is I've never seen Encino Man. So this was... Uh, in preparation for the episode, my first time seeing it. So it was kind of fun going into a movie because um, I think with all of our movies, I've seen them at least once before, uh, my picks. And so it was kind of fun just going in blind. Um, I knew Brendan Fraser was in it, Sean Astin. Uh, I just kind of knew the very basics of it. And this movie has been parodied in different shows and kind of different things before. So it was kind of fun going in with uh, an open mind, um, ready to kind of see, okay, this is what other people would think that I might pick for one theme of a podcast and you know what 
I don't think that they were that wrong. I think that there's a version if, you know, little Connor as a child watched Encino Man probably would have had some nostalgia for this movie and might have picked it if he grew up to be a podcaster in this alternate timeline. So an uh, interesting pick and I'm uh, excited to kind of dive into it and talk about some parts of it. Uh, but before we kind of go any deeper, let me just give a synopsis for folks who have also not seen Encino Man like I have. So, released in 1992, uh, the plot revolves around two, according to Wikipedia, geeky teenagers from Encino, Los Angeles, California, who discover a caveman in one of their backyards uh, who's frozen in a block of ice, and he has to learn how to live in the 20th century while teaching the teenagers about life. Don't know if the actual film gets as deep as that, but I thought that description kind of does a pretty decent job of summing it up. So... I was new to this movie, uh, but other co-hosts, what was your relationship with uh, Encino Man? Sam, we all know you love Brendan Fraser, uh, so I assume that you've seen this before. Yes, Uh, I have. Mm -hmm. This was a movie that was familiar to me because I loved him and my friend's parents being like, oh, you like Brendan Fraser? Let's watch this. Let's watch uh, Airheads. Let's watch all of this. So God bless them. God bless you, Michelle and Rob. Yeah, so let's just get into it. What do you guys uh, think? Has ever, was this anybody else's first time watching Encino Man? This was my first time watching it. Uh, I'd seen it before, but not in many years. So, uh, Christine, I guess we'll just start with you as another first-timer. What did you think of just kind of initial thoughts on uh, watching Encino Man? Yeah, I mean, like, everything about this movie I know. Like, I, I know I can envision Brendan Fraser like as this midnight, early to mid nineties, like kind of stoner look vibe and Polly Shore and all that. And so I was convinced that I had seen it. And then I was, when I was watching it, I was like, never seen this movie. Um, so I guess it's just the posters everywhere. I think that I feel like I say this maybe a little too often. So I need to like mix up my material, but I really do feel like this is an appropriate use of the phrase time capsule. For many reasons. I mean, like, basically, the screenwriters just feel like they came up with a concept to make this sort of, like, embodied early 90s dude, like, stoner dude. And they're like, actually, if he's a caveman, it will all work out. Like, I feel like just, like, the clothing, the vibe, Polly Shore and Brendan Fraser just, like, feel so mid to early 90s. I wouldn't say I, like, in. I feel like some of the jokes and setups felt got repetitive and so but I didn't I just I think Brendan Fraser is a wonderful physical performer uh and so it's always a pleasure to watch him but it was basically just a screenplay of what if uh Link was at the mall what if Link was at the ice skating rink what if Link was it the prom? <laughs> it's like what it if Link really... was at a racist Mexican bar? <laughs> it like, exactly, and then I don't think the screenplay got any further than that, which is fine. You know, it's 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 a classic for a reason. Dave, how about you? Kind of coming back after a while. Uh, not so much a classic to me, Christine, for the reasons that you stated. Uh, I'd seen this movie before, and it was very much as I remember it. Um, I don't go back to Polly Short stuff very often because I'm not a Polly Shore fan. Uh, I think he's, yeah, I'm sure he's a nice enough guy and he does an interesting job in this movie by contrast to some of his other more, let's say, um, annoying work. But I think you're right. I think this is a movie that feels like the, like, it feels like a first act 
or like early second act, like montage, like eighties montage or nineties montage of like scenes, but it just never ends and never really develops an arc until the last minute. So there's not a lot of meat on this bone for me. Uh, and uh, I don't, I don't know that I'll be going back to it anytime soon. I think that was part of the fun challenge when thinking about hosting an episode about Encino man was, you know, we're generally a pretty uh, go pretty deep on themes on relationships on this podcast. We get usually pretty nitty and gra- and nitty gritty and granular. Uh, so it's kind of a fun challenge of like, how deep can we go with Encino Man and exploring the themes and relationships? I also think that Heather and Kara would probably be cackling a little bit mm. to hear that uh, you you didn't enjoy it that much or were like, interesting first time. That's part of the, the revenge, I think. <laughs> you know, I, I think that this strikes a good balance of like, yeah, this is something that a version like Connor probably could pick, and then also some revenge for all of us as well. I think it's a, it's a good uh, first fit, first uh, foray into this new theme. It's like that Michael Jordan theme, and I took that personally. <laughs> <laughs> so we've already covered quite a bit about what Snowman is, just in our brief little um, how do we feel about it. Uh, so as I mentioned, released in uh, what was the exact date? May twenty second, nineteen ninety two, um, and it stars Sean Astin, Brendan Fraser, Pauly Shore. I realize this is the first, I think, thing I've ever seen Pauly Shore, and and I hope it's the last. Um, <laughs> uh, a name I'm familiar with, but looking through his filmography, I'm like, I don't think, I don't think I've seen anything. That- uh, you saw a Goofy movie. He's oh, in that right. as his buddy. I take that back. Leaning right. Tower. Oh, he's the Jesus kid, right? <laughs> yep. All right, he's good. He's good in a goofy movie. Directed by Les Mayfield. And I I only bring this up because he also directed Robin Williams' Flubber. Um, so interesting. Ooh. That checks um, out. <laughs> yeah, that, that about checks out. I thought that was an interesting comparison. And this is also a Disney movie as well. Uh, at the time when Jeffrey Katzenberg was in charge. And I have some interesting and a trivia that we'll get to at the end of the episode about the production. Oh, well, which is interesting. You might mention at the end of the episode, but I just saw that Disney is in talks of an Encino man too. And that apparently some of the cat, most of the cast are like down with it. I mean, from the mouth of of Pauly Shore. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's like, (laughs) who's really been talking to Pauly Shore? (laughs) About what the mouse is take. bringing me the cheese, uh, and so that's, on. That's so interesting to me to to hear that this was a Disney movie because, like, okay, there are elements of this movie that are problematic. It could have been so much worse, y'all. It could have mm-hmm. been worse. Like, let's not forget about that. But there's an F slur, like at the very end of the movie. So the fact that they used that. In a Disney movie, interesting. I, I don't, I can't recall quickly if that word is used in any other Disney film. Maybe, but well, this this isn't a straight up Disney film, right? This is through one of their subsidiaries, Buena Vista Pictures, right? Oh, well, still, yeah. So no castle in the beginning, like Disney, Walt Disney. Studios. That would make it real jarring, yeah. <laughs> But this seemed to be a passion project for Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was head of the Disney company at the time. So interesting that this is a movie that had a lot of desire from the brass to be created, hell or high water. Uh, interesting, uh, maybe not hill to die on the right phrase, but I think approaching that idea. It just, it, okay, it, 
it feels totally like a CEO of a large company would gather like, um, like, uh, like a room together and be like, what are the young people like right now? And then this movie is what results from those discussions, like a focus group, but of like all also other like middle-aged people who are like, yeah, I think they're all like smoking pot and like have crazy hairstyles and like kind of talk like Polly Shore. So I think we're going to just roll with this. <laughs> was was Polly Shore the voice of a generation? <laughs> I think this is what this like group of middle-aged Disney execs thought was the case in 1992. It was a whole movie made by the people who personify the what's up fellow kids, Steve Buscemi meme. Exactly, exactly. So there were three kind of main, two, three kind of main points that I wanted to explore as we talk about Encino Man. And that was, I think just kind of going through the premise and kind of what's offered in the first half of the movie. And then Encino Man is really a movie about relationships and people navigating their way through the world, like so many wonderful movies are. And so I thought that those would kind of be two interesting vectors to go through, and I'm sure we'll kind of weave in back and forth. But this movie opens uh, pretty boldly with a tiny set of Brendan Fraser as a dirty caveman who attempts to make fire with his cavewoman partner. Uh, Then there is an earthquake and his cave collapses. So we go from the Ice Age all the way to 1992. So we got some setup. We got a caveman. Dirty ass Brendan Fraser gets ah, hands in the air, shaking as the fake set kind of tumbles around him. And he just can't quite reach for his wife. Quite an emotional opening um, scene to Encino Man, which is largely a comedy and I think a pretty uh, heart-wrenching start to, to this picture. It's also got like all the like, like semiotic trappings of like a much more serious movie, like mm-hmm. these sweeping shots of like this snowy landscape that were to assume, I guess, is prehistoric. Uh, even just like the choice of font and music kind of screams like a, a self seriousness or like a kind of like cinematic import. <laughs> so I, I did appreciate that juxtaposition. It's kind of pretty funny where things go from there, given that the Encino Man title card looks like it could be something out of like. I don't know, like an MGM film from like the 1940s or 50s. Yeah, some kind of jungle exploration like tragedy. Connor, I'm also glad that you brought up the fact that he had a wife because so he gets defrosted and then he goes to high school and these high school girls are like lusting after this dude and we don't know his age. We don't know, but it did bother me this time around a little bit. I was like, oh, you know what? That is ew. So I think that brings us to the question of how do we feel about uh, this premise and the execution of it? Uh, this caveman frozen in ice, it's dug out and then kind of lives, uh, lives the teenage life, goes to school, goes to the roller rink, tries to learn words through Polly Shore, which is their a, a worst teacher of the English yeah, what language. A, what a great tutor. So just how do we kind of feel um, about the setup? And we haven't really talked much about Sean Astin, who this movie's kicked off by him digging a pool by hand to invite everybody (laughs) to prom. I love that. I love that his parents agreed to that. His character is so sad. (laughs) 
and annoying. And annoying. It's like the worst combination. <laughs> but he's so cute. Oh my god. Like, he is really like young. his like baby face. The movie started and I was like, oh, I just I'm feeling a lot about young Sean Astin. Like, I just want to put him in my little pocket and keep him. But also, what parents would just let their kid, like, dig a massive hole? Like, a kid who has no experience designing a pool just, like, start a construction project in the back. I mean, actually, maybe great parents because they're like, I will... It's a constructivist learning model, I guess. (laughs) But... Still, I was kind of like, "What? What's he doing?" I, it's a strange, tenuous balance between uh, Sean Astin and Polly Shore in this movie because they're both sort of our protagonists, more or less, guiding uh, Link through Brendan Fraser through this experience. And it kind of sets up for me that Sean Astin's character is kind of a real asshole. Uh, he's just sort of kind of really lecherous and weird about his infatuation with this girl at one point holding up a picture of them as kids in a bathtub saying look we were naked together remember remember and all this other stuff and he's just like such a dick up until like the very end when he kind of decides like okay maybe like i shouldn't make everything an opportunity to advance my like social standing and everything and it's paired well by Polly shore's character but Polly shore playing him more restrained than he does any character kind of just makes the character dull. So I have a choice between like a lecherous creep or a very boring character. And I find that to be kind of annoying. It's like, it puts a lot of weight on Brendan Fraser's shoulders, I'll say, which he carries well, but it's, it's, it's asking too much. He, uh, Christine, I think you mentioned like his Brendan Fraser's physical performance is really, I think a lot of the driving force, like when, if if I were to imagine what nostalgia is like for folks who like love this movie as a kid, I would say it's like Brendan Fraser's performance. And I kind of wish that they, I don't know, I feel like the idea of like, we've seen this a lot that like high school is like a jungle, like a wilderness, like primal instincts, urges, animalistic behavior, like mixing that with high school, um, the high school experience. I just felt that was such like a missed opportunity of like, you have this caveman. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like that this movie surprisingly had kind of like a lot of thematic potential um, that it kind of just spun its wheels because I thought it had like a funny idea um, behind it. Yeah, it's just sort of like, how do we, what's the next setup? What's the next comic set piece given this situation? And we'll worry about the characters' arcs in, I don't know, the last uh, five, ten minutes of the movie, and then we'll wrap things up. And it's like, well, that's not a story per se. So I think while the script is really not, certainly nothing worth writing home about, uh, and Sino Man did make me laugh quite a few times, I think especially in the beginning of this movie. Uh, it's just such like a strange movie, and the characters just behave so strangely. Uh, there's some interesting like behind-the-scenes stuff that we can get into toward the end that I think maybe helps explain a little bit of that. But oh, there were I, I was surprised at the amount of times um, that I laughed at Encino Man. I think just like how ridiculous the school is. Um, Dave's parents, Sean Aston's parents are just particularly absurd. Like, um, so they melt, you know, Brendan Fraser, they find him, melt him while they're at school. He breaks out, causes chaos in the house. And then uh, the parents come home and are just totally like, what is happening in here? And then Link, that's what they named Brendan Fraser because he's the missing Link cool original very interesting movie i guess i bet somebody felt very smart about that 
Um, and then they just and then they say that he's a foreign exchange student from Estonia. And then Dave just totally fools his parents that he told them about this exchange student uh, and just kind of ignore the messy house. Like, I don't know. There was just something so stupid. Wait, what? I just I couldn't. What made the dad suddenly decide it was okay to have Link in the house? I have no idea. I think just didn't want to be proven wrong, maybe. Or it's like one of those things where, yeah, he's like, Dad, I already told you about this. And he's just kind of like, Yeah, I, I guess I remember something like that. Yeah. And then it's just kind of cool. Yeah, I'm not, I'm big dad. I'm not, nothing's wrong with that. And so I just thought like these initial, let's say the first like 30 minutes of the movie, I thought were kind of like the most interesting, especially when. He's like defrosted and he's running around the house. There's like smeared mud of like the cave paintings that he would have made. Uh, they find him, you know, they smell fire because he's starting a fire out of like his desk chair. Um, and I just thought the first half of this movie was just like had the funnest moments, I think. I thought that's where the fish out of water scenes felt kind of the freshest because that's kind of all that this movie does is fish out of water. I was going to say it's before uh, it establishes that that's kind of what it's going to be the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, that there's really no, like, this is before I realized that, oh, there's really no emotional line that's going to carry these characters or carry the script. Uh, but overall, I thought the first half was kind of stronger than I thought and be like, oh, this is probably what most people remember about the movie, if I had to guess. Like, if somebody who hadn't seen it in, like, 15 years was reflecting on it. Uh, I think the first half was kind of fun. And I thought Polly Shore and Caveman Brendan Fraser have some good back-and-forth moments. Like, Polly Shore... Stoney is his character, I think is an interesting mentor figure to like teach him through the world. And like, I know that's not like the most original idea that, uh, but this is, you know, he's learning about the 20th, the 20th century through Pauly Shore's eyes, just like an interesting perspective, especially when they go to the, like a uh, six flags. I thought that was like pretty funny uh, when they're trying to like um, my fair lady him and dress him up. Um, I don't know any other like what are I, I, this is a great time like what were some of your guys favorite parts of the movie am I wrong like are there stuff to love in the back half or do other people feel similarly that kind of moments that they'd enjoyed the most were kind of uh, front loaded yeah I think that I wouldn't say this movie is strong in the beginning but it certainly also made me laugh which we know after four years of this podcast is not my favorite not my favorite thing to do no that movie is just like when they set out to do that i don't particularly enjoy it but i do remember laughing out loud at several moments and then just like looking at my roommate who was watching it for the first time and um she like wasn't really laughing like but that's funny ask me what any of those moments were i I couldn't tell you i honestly but you know at the Towards the end, it completely derails and stop being interesting. There's definitely small moments, I think, that are more like the um, like the environment of the high school and the way it's portrayed that are really funny. And some of those tropes, like when uh, Sean Astin's character, Dave, is staring across the cafeteria, the, the girl that he has a crush on who has this boyfriend who's like kind of like a real dick. And it's just a shot of like him looking wistfully over at her and just her looking like, you know, kind of like doing her thing but like serenely in the frame and then her boyfriend just like sidles into frame and shakes his head that's that's a really nice moment there's some like very quiet humor that's uh sewn into little moments on the periphery that i think uh elevate the movie and add some texture to it at least connor you mentioned the my fairy lady moment um like his like big makeover i i liked that and the it, it was the i'm too sexy mm-hmm. uh song right 
Yep. And when they're trying to brush Link's teeth in the bathtub, you know, the simple pleasures in life, watching Brendan Fraser just really hamming it up. And, you know, it's one of those movies where you can tell a person's having a pretty good time. And I think especially that scene really shows that for all of them. I think they're all having a great time shooting those scenes. Those like I mean, movies. and I think there's something fun in like actors eating toothpaste and uh, something just in your base lizard brain of when you're just kind of watching something that's funny, like appreciating like the craft of just kind of how silly it is. I think that's like when Encino Man is is at its strongest. And it's just all Brendan Fraser's um, audition for George of the Jungle. God, I haven't thought about George of the Jungle in quite a long time. Is Jungle the Jungle the one with Tim Allen? Not to get too mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there was Jungle the Jungle. Yeah, there it was like the mid '90s obsession with like fish out of water. Story. I think about George of the Jungle uh, on the regular, Connor. So um, can't be me. <laughs> Not thinking about it all the time. One one part of this kind of fish out of water narrative that I think had a lot of potential was the idea that so Dave. Sean Aston, super focused on being popular. He wants to be prom king. That is his like goal in life. And by digging this pool in his backyard with a shovel, it's gonna help him achieve it. Does I mean he doesn't want to end high school and nobody. I think they set him up with some like pretty classic, you know, high schooler kind of energy, high schooler ideas. Yeah, um, American Pie after that, or Weird yeah. Science before it, and so yeah. Definitely playing some pretty safe ground. And that digging reminded, I just couldn't get poltergeist out of my head of when there's like the giant mud pit at the end and the skeleton comes. I was like, when it rains, like I know it doesn't rain a lot in Southern California, but A, how are you planning to fill that pool? And B, what if it rains? Like, I don't know. You son of a bitch, you only moved the prehistoric headstones. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think poltergeist and Encino Man is like the crossover that we needed. What if they happen in the same universe? Yes. Mm, yes. I'm Spielberg. all for it. Spielberg's and Man. I would love like a like a pan out and it's like only like six doors down is poltergeist happening in the same neighborhood. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> in California like, too, right? It's like meanwhile, Polly Shore and what's his face are just <laughs> running around with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> oh, what a much better movie anyway so i think so he wants to be popular wants to be prom king those are fine motivations to give somebody but he's just so creepy and it's like the movie doesn't we talked about this a little bit already but it's like the movie doesn't acknowledge that he's being creepy he's like effectively our protagonist co-protagonist even and like i think it's interesting that oh the caveman comes in and is becomes more popular than dave who's trying so hard to be popular when Link is literally just being himself, doing backflips off the second floor, uh, drawing uh, booby ladies with um, ketchup on the ice rink. And, uh, you know, it's just, there's like some interesting meat there. of Like someone who's not trying hard becomes very popular very quickly when Dave, who's tried his whole life very hard, it seems. But the movie just kind of wafts on that, like doesn't do anything with that kind of interesting idea. Like what can Dave learn from Link? that the movie kind of misses that opportunity. Especially interesting too, because he's, you know, Link is literally pulled out of time and can adapt better than this of era teenager. But you don't really feel the weight of that being like an active ingredient. Like some ill in modern world, but cavemen kind of can have it. I don't know. There's like, 
some interesting ideas there that I wish they kind of. No, 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 no. I think that's like so fascinating because like my brain would have not really gone there because for me, it was just like Link is what's new and interesting. And like, I don't know if y'all ever had new kids in high school, particularly if they were of the male persuasion, but like that was all anyone talked about for months just because they were new and different. So like, to me, it wasn't, oh, well, he's able to adapt more. It's like, no, he's just like brand new, shiny. Well, I don't know that it's necessarily suggesting that. I think that would have been a more interesting avenue yeah. for it to go down. Yeah, I think, Sam, you're probably more correct in uh, the way that it plays out. Yeah. Or did this movie not even think about either? Just, uh, it was just, here it is. Caveman well, I, doing backflips. <laughs> well, I think back to our previous discussion about Disney CEOs and, uh, you know, discussions of like what kids think are cool, like high schoolers think are cool. I think it's just like Link becomes this composite. It's shallow and just empty because that it's just a concept based on the aesthetics of like the time or like the aesthetics of a very specific type of um style and like vibe at the time yeah and he just has to like just go with the flow of it all and i was when watching this i was like man so he's he gets warm clothes he doesn't have to worry about being hunted like all this delicious food like there's no way he was eating well before i don't know how he got those abs six pack and all those muscles uh back in the day but well you know the prehistoric workout it's a lot more core centric i'm sure you're right. And a lot of cardio, too. Extra cardio. Yeah, isn't that the fucking... What's that diet? Uh, the... Oh, the, the paleo diet? Paleo yeah. diet. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, I feel like that's the caveman thing or whatever. It's just like meat and, uh, like, bouldering or something. Uh, you can ask Jordan B. Peterson how that's going, but he's pretty sick, so... <laughs> <laughs> and so I just think it's, like, just a shame that you could have taken these ideas of, like, adaptability... Uh, survival of the fittest even like that's the world he grew in so he kind of it's like you know i'm a host of a movie po- i'm hosting a movie podcast right now so i'm enjoying kind of reaching deep for these themes even though i'm sure the writers and creators probably didn't put this much thought into it. so i guess we'll start with the kind of going through act two this movie kind of ha- doesn't really have three acts but classic act two oh, everything's going great with Link. Oh, but then sort of he's starting to do stuff wrong. He doesn't quite fit in. And this kind of culminates in the driver's ed scene where he's just like taking classes. I have no idea how he registered Linkovich. Um, is like has class records. Yeah, his class records are like from like a veterinarian place or something, right? Yeah, something like that. Did he establish how the file got into the school filing cabinet? I think he just enrolled. Like they just enrolled him into school. he filled out the forms. Dave and, and Stoney did probably. Because then the scene when the like bullies find his file. I had so many questions, but it's not even worth going into. <laughs> so he's just taking classes, seems to be a computer whiz, loves the racing game. Um, and so he goes and this kind of culminates in the driver's ed scene where Robin, who's Dave's main love interest, um, is in the car with him and for some reason they're putting like extra people in the car like I, this is a strange driver i've never had drivers ed like that in high school it was just like a class where you like sit in a classroom and just earn credits because you had to do that and just like read out of a book but they drive him around and he just 
Florida. He thinks he's in like a racing game. He's he's a man out of time. He doesn't understand. And I kind of love that the car is at like a what is it, forty five degree angle, just two side tires, the driver side tires on the ground for minutes on end, just cruising through school, nearly killing people. Um, this scene was kind of you know went on I think for far too long, but it's a little bit to enjoy here, and it's just pure ridiculousness. I mean, the longer it goes on, the more comedically ridiculous it is. So, I, yeah, I do appreciate that they're on two wheels for, like, miles. <laughs> I think if they just pushed it a little further, we would have gotten, I think, gotten there to that moment. But, unfortunately, the two-wheel car takes us to a bar on the wrong side of the tracks, it seems, uh, filled with uh, pretty pretty blatant Mexican stereotypes that these kids just kind of saunter into this bar. Uh, everybody's saying essay like every other word it's a real low point for the movie and a movie that doesn't already kind of have a lot of high points and it just feels like through the back half of this movie uh the pacing i think just kind of like grinds to a halt my interest in the movie kind of stopped and it was just sort of like all right when are we going to kind of get just to a conclusion because it feels like the movie has just spun its wheels unintended but it's just so interesting to include a scene like this in, in a movie because it's like, oh, so you actively chose to be racist because yeah. it, you think it's going to be funny. Like, this movie didn't need it, need that scene. They were just like, hey, you know what would be interesting? You know what would be funny? For some reason. So, like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, and then he, so he, like, the kids are like, or uh stoney's like drinking at the bar and like it's oh and paulie shore is doing his the most blame paulie shore i guess his nickname is the weasel so he calls himself the weasel in the yeah, movie the i was super like oh you just should have cut it like tell him it's in the movie and then just cut it and be like oh so ask for forgiveness rather than permission in that moment and I, the movie just becomes so self-indulgent in this scene and then like throughout the movie it's uh, we see moments of where it's like, oh, cavemen just took took their women and ran away with them. Uh, and that culminates, you know, there's a payoff for that kind of thread that happens when this guy's like, if anybody stares at my woman, I'm going to kill him. And then because he's a caveman, he looks at the woman, doesn't understand, doesn't speak English. And then his just affable attitude just kind of, you know, just gets him, gets him out of trouble. And then we just kind of move on so it's kind of just like why is this scene like even in here what is like the scene accomplishing and it just really this just shows the movie doesn't really quite have any like thematic heart through line it's just sort of like vignettes in a way which is a shame because i think that as we discussed as i'm putting forward i think that this movie had quite a bit of potential i get yeah and then it just sort of swoops in at the end with those a resolution of i guess the loosely threaded themes that it, it it's suggesting through our characters you know sean astin uh as dave kind of realize comes to well he kind of fir- first he like harry and the henderson's uh link and is just yes. ready to like drop him off on the highway with a skateboard and be like get out of here can't you see nobody wants you anymore and uh fortunately stoney shows up and is like you know doing the poly shore like come on man he's just like you don't get it like it's not about popularity and like you picked like such an annoying vessel of morality to like sell me this message at the end when you haven't really built up toward it. It's just, I'm glad it rushes in with some sort of a theme and like something resembling an arc, but even that, yeah, I feel is a little bit, if it were, if it, if it were seated throughout the movie, that'd be something, but it's just all of a sudden 
this moral conversation that we haven't really confronted outside of like Stoney's general attitude toward Dave's like social climber, you know, ambitions, but like it never really comes to a head before then. And, but I guess that takes him, you know, shooing away a caveman for the two friends to really have this confrontation. I don't know. It's, I'm glad it's in there, but I could have used more building toward that. For sure. And I think just what made me laugh about that scene was that it does feel so unearned. It's like, you're you're just sending him off to die in, like, the modern world just because, like, he's more popular than you. Like, way to make <laughs> your, your protagonist see, like, a massive, like, just dick. Like, Harry and the Henders, like, it, it is pulling for moments like that. Like, get out of here! Like, because you're trying to save the person. You're trying to help the creature. You know, like, they don't understand, so you have to make the tough, like, human choice to, like, you're helping them by sending them away. It's like, no, he's just sending him away because he's a dick. But it's set <laughs> up, like, a super, like, emotional, like, moment or, like, taps into that kind of trope. Yeah, it's set to, like, a Jesus and the Mary Chain yeah. song. <laughs> and then just a miraculous, oh, Stoney shows up, convinces him. Uh, and then just Dave's resigned to just not go to prom. And Link goes to prom and just becomes super popular. Man, I love to, yeah, there's idea. no, ex- you, but the first thing that we see of him at prom is him winning prom king. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Much to the dismay of Robin's boyfriend, who Robin never really seemed to like anyway. Like, we also just don't get a lot of Robin, who's this pivotal, like, male yeah. gaze character for Dave. I feel like that's, oh, that's a trope, too, where, like, yeah. the girl is, like, dating the shitty guy but doesn't even like him (laughs) and he's like the bully and then it makes no sense i mean yeah that that pairing didn't really surprise me well and i thought that they were at least going to do the trope of like oh she's the third like the female friend quote who like comes in like actually like helps the boys like take care of the situation Mm -hmm. like but it, it didn't even give her that no it didn't give yeah her anything um and then Dave still gets the girl at the end after her boyfriend tries to like outlink. Like he's a caveman and everyone's like, cool. Yeah. It's, and then he does that dance. And that's like a, once again, like this is how the young people move these days. <laughs> Do a dance, Brendan Fraser. And he's like, okay. And he totally goes for it. And that's a pleasure to watch as well. But uh, it's just so unearned. <laughs> it's also like in that weird, like eighties and nineties sandbox of like, this like heightened attention and importance to like prom of like the 19 like 50s and stuff like it, it feels very like callbacky uh even though it is very steep in its own time it's it's weird and it could have been funny if this was like dave's ultimate goal but nobody cared but him like there's just, it, but it's the movie just takes no creative risks so i mean the pitch great. of a caveman coming back and winning prom king that's a risk you know <laughs> That's a risk that probably should have stayed in the cave, or like in the in the, cave. Um, in the cave. But they did it, and we got Encino Man. Well, how do we feel about the very end of the movie, where it's revealed that not only is there an Encino Man, but an Encino Woman? How do we feel about this reveal at the end, the final like two minutes of the movie? We reveal that if there was a, I guess his wife frozen in ice too cave wife don't they actually make a movie there is a made for tv abc feature-length film of a woman 
Oh, yeah. It was definitely a, a sequel setup, you know? Like, that's the oldest play in the book. Christine, we know your love of cinematic universes. So how do you feel about the uh, potential for an Encino Man cinematic universe? I mean, now that we brought up the idea of the poltergeist and this movie being in the same universe, that's really more the cinematic universe I want to see. Yeah, I mean, like, we don't need, like, a, a Mandalorian-esque The Weasel series, you know? Like, let's leave this, <laughs> let's leave this where it lies. The, bu- the book of, the book of uh, a Stony. Oh, my God, yeah. the book of Stony. Oh, <laughs> the book of Polly. Well, I've got some trivia here that I thought would kind of just be fun to go through quickly as it feels like we're winding down. So originally, um, the filmmakers apparently offered the role of Link to Polly Shore himself. Uh, when Shore first went to meet with uh, Disney chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg, he Shore told him that he didn't want to play Link uh, because he knew since Caveman didn't talk, uh, Caveman didn't talk that the film would lose the appeal of his humor and his unique quote unquote poly speak. Uh, Imagine. And IMDb, and IMDb clarifies where Shore would pause between syllables of key adjectives. So Polly speak, that was some Polly sure needed that. So instead, Shore uh wanted to play one of the two teens who found uh found Link. And then once the producers met Brendan Fraser, they thought that he'd be better suited for the role. Seems like everybody kind of you know saw him as Link uh, after he auditioned. So Katzenberg went to Shore um and then they rewrote this teen role basically for him to become Stony Brown. And then it didn't even matter because Shore improvised in most of his lines to the surprise of no one. And speaking of casting, Ben Stiller apparently auditioned and tested for the role of Link. Just gives me like major Zoolander vibes. I think it's hard not to. So he backed out the last second due to scheduling conflicts. And that's when Brendan Fraser came in. And was it, was it to film Heavyweights? I don't know. I think I'm going to look up the date. Because this would have been filmed in 91, probably. So, uh, and then moving on to Sean Astin, I found this interesting thing about him too. He did not want to be in this movie. Uh, he was sent a script, read through it, and called it apparently, quote, the biggest piece of shit that he read in his whole life. Katzenberg then personally called Sean Astin, uh, asking for his commitment to the film. Uh, he was offered $150,000 plus $400,000 on the back end. Uh, Sean apparently respectfully declined and asked if they were, you know, he also was like, well, are you willing to listen to my own ideas of how I think I can make the film better? But Katzenberg was only concerned with how much money the film will make. Uh, After a while, they faxed him a revised version of the script, which apparently didn't change much. But he was told that Brendan Fraser would be in it and Sean wanted to work with Brendan Fraser. Um, He was also told at that point that Pauly Shore was in the film. Uh, Aston had never heard of Pauly Shore. So he watched some of his uh, tapes of Polly's MTV stuff uh, that Disney sent him. Uh, Sean then apparently grew even more reluctant to join <laughs> the film. <laughs> Disney was apparently, like Katzenberg was relentless in trying to get Sean to join Encino Man. So then he upped his pay at $100,000 to $250,000 and gave him complete creative control of the character Dave. And a three-option deal, and then they also allowed Jesus. him to uh, film a short, to direct a short film, which became 1994's Kangaroo Court. He, so he was on the fence the whole time until finally getting like Sean Astin's great, but to like hound him like this, and then ultimately to give up creative control of a character, 
is which is wild. Seems like and you must have a hell of an agent or a manager because like those are some yeah. big demands. Yeah, and like I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny because I wouldn't necessarily consider uh, Sean Astin like the arbiter of cinematic taste but like i don't know something was telling him this movie was gonna be bullshit and so <laughs> that actually i have a lot of respect for him oh yeah and i mean there's the classic you know one for them one for me kind of thing you know mm-hmm. so i guess that's ultimately what, but just the fact that they doggedly pursued him uh, and that paulie shore made him want to do it less I mean, he would have been the biggest bill because Brendan Fraser, I looked at quickly at his IMDb. He did School Ties the same year that this came out. Um, and before that, it was just like TV part, like small TV parts. And Sean Astin had done like Goonies and uh, what else before that? I think Goonies was his biggest thing. I mean, and that was like a huge movie. So I guess, yeah, like they're like, oh, we want you know, the young, fresh face who's, like, the it person, I guess. Well, and then I think it just calls into the question, like, so you had complete creative control over this character, and this is what we got? You said the script didn't change. But then they gave Sean Aston complete creative control over Dave. (laughs) also, like... Does that mean improvised lines? He's, like, 21, maybe, when this is being filmed. Did Rue come after this? Rudy, what what is it? What's the what's that movie? Rudy came out. Uh, any kind of final thoughts on the first pick for Roommate Revenge? Certainly was Revenge. Honestly, I think that this, yeah, it was a good pick on their part. Where do you, where do you, is this movie a yay or a nay? You think? Would you recommend in twenty twenty two somebody with uh, nothing to do in a night throw on eighty eight minutes of Encino Man? I think if we were watching it together, mm. I say yay. Watching it by yourself, nay. Yeah, like a party watch. I agree. Yeah. I think I think there's better uses of your time. It's gonna it's gotta be a no for me. Um, but that's a no for me, dog. It, it's it's a movie. They made it. We watched it. Uh, I'm glad we've covered it now. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'll be uh, I'll be singing its praises to anybody or, or revisiting it anytime soon. Well, with that, I think that's a great note to end on for Encino Man, nineteen ninety two. Thank you so much, Kara and Sam's roommates, for the selection. Thank you so much. Also, you know, we got more roommate revenge picks coming up uh, throughout uh, the next couple of weeks. So please stay tuned. Uh, join us for those uh, wonderful, I assume, wonderful episodes. Um, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram at Butter With That. Send us an email at butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. Twitter's Butter With That One. And also don't forget to follow the Movie John Podcast Network. Um, we love our podcast family. I feel like October's a great time to be in the movie podcast because most podcasts are covering spooky movies. Uh, there's plenty of interesting ones coming out now. Um, and yeah, definitely lots of great spooky movies to cover. So be sure to check out all the movie, all the podcasts in the Movie John Podcast Network. Um, and then with that, I say let's have a good whatever. Have a good whatever. Buddy. Butter with that. I, I can't do Paulie's speak. Oh, that literally made me want to like walk into traffic. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.
This has been a Movie John podcast.